This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris. Welcome back. We made it. I'm as surprised as you are after this weekend. Boy, I took a beating. A lot of work, a lot of uh, lifting, a lot of uh, walking. It was good. Had a big fire out back, put some big logs on there Saturday night. Had a good time doing that. Always fun to have a little fire. Uh, what else? Did a little uh, campaigning with Nancy Price. Maybe I'll tell you about that. This One story that caught my eye, though, I wanted to talk about a little bit. It's a little different than your normal news story, but... I think a story, for one, people should be aware of, and two, uh, being aware of some ways you could handle a situation like this. And let me give you this story as best I can piece it together here. And I don't know that this video, I put put the video in the the show notes, you can check it out if you want to watch it for yourself. I think it's pretty long. I feel like it was about a 40-minute video or something like that. Anyway, this farmer down in South Carolina applied for and received a license to grow hemp. Now, i got to be honest with you. Let me see if I can find out here. What's the difference uh, between hemp and... And CBD, the hemp oil, no different than hemp and marijuana. The defining difference is their psychoactive component. Hemp-derived products don't contain enough THC to create the high traditionally associated with marijuana. So, okay, I just wanted to verify that. So he wasn't growing anything illegal. At least that's what we're led to believe. I'll circle back to that. So he was growing hemp, which was allowed. South Carolina passed the law allowing it, but you had to apply for a permit, which he did, and he received it. One little problem. He, uh, I guess as part of the permit, you have to list the field, the precise location where this hemp is going to be grown. I don't know why the state feels the need to to track this so meticulously, but this is this is the law apparently, and this is where he got into trouble. Apparently, I didn't know this that you know, a farmer might plan out how they're going to plant their fields, but then that might be subject to change depending on on weather, I suppose, and maybe other conditions. So he gets the permit, but he has to switch the field to a different location, I guess, because it was a wet spring or what have you. Had to move it up to a field that wasn't so wet. He files an amendment. He discloses to the state, hey, I, I had to put it in a different spot. What do I need to do here? And 
He claims that the department that he was dealing with uh, was saying to him, hey, you know, this is a new law and a new program, and we'll, we'll get this all worked out. Somehow that story then changed at some point in the process, and they claim that he was sent a letter for, uh, for willful violation of this law. Okay. It's kind of odd that you would send a letter like that. As best I can tell, that letter was sent by the state after he reported to them that he had done it in a different field. How can that be willful? I guess it could be willful. He just willfully reported it. It could still be willful. He just didn't conceal it. (laughs) It was willful, right? He, He knew he was doing it in a different field. But he filed the amendment. Maybe the problem was that he filed the amendment after he planted it. Maybe he's not revealing a piece of this. Maybe he got caught and then filed the amendment. Maybe he wasn't really cooperating with the state, but he had to be on some level because he had filed the, uh, the amendment. Now, apparently, the amendment was denied. I don't know that there was a reason given for that. And I suppose he was ordered to destroy the crop. What ended up happening, and this is where some of the details are a little fuzzy to me, and I don't know South Carolina law. I just know in Pennsylvania this would be a little hard for this to be carried out like this. Next thing you know, Uh, Law enforcement arrives. I'm not sure who, state police or what have you. And they arrest this guy and mow down this crop, destroy it. He asked uh, to speak with his lawyer. Uh, At one point, they they cut the cameras off. I'm not sure what that was all about. Uh, Put this guy in handcuffs. I mean, if you watch this video, this is... I don't even understand why the need for handcuffs, quite frankly. Somebody have to explain that to me, why the police uh, always want to put people in handcuffs. This, even if you want to say, well, it was being arrested, this is, not, this is an administrative crime, for God's sake. A permit violation? So let me tell you a couple things about this. So first of all, I mean, it's extremely heavy-handed. However, I can tell you a story. Now, if you don't know my story, just to tell you broadly, I spent my my career in real estate development. And then suddenly, around the after the Great Recession, found myself working in local government, in code enforcement, ironically, permitting, uh, inspections. And and I, I really fell in love with it. Uh, I really enjoy after all the years of banging my head against the wall dealing with these uh, bureaucrats, it would be horrible. You'd be working on a multi-million dollar, sometimes tens of millions of dollar project and some building inspector making, you know, $50,000 a year has got the whole doggone project held up. And the number of good ones that I dealt with were far and few between. And even the ones that just didn't do anything, they weren't helpful either. Like, you actually want a reasonable 
inspection process. And if you're, you know, if you're an ethical, uh, you know, create builder or, or, or anything that would require inspections. And uh, you, you want some level, but the, the ones that I would say that were actually inspecting and doing some kind of a diligent job, but were reasonable about it were far and few between. And, some of them flat out extremely heavy-handed. And if you don't know how to deal with that, you got a major, major problem. I had a fight with a, um, a water company that, uh, just, that were citing some OSHA rule saying that we had to put a backflow preventer on a, a sprinkler uh, system, fire suppression sprinkler system coming into this building. Well, that main uh, was a, a, a 12-inch main coming into our it was a big commercial property and the meter itself came into a pit outside i mean the whole this whole retrofit was probably one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that they were you know forcing upon us with 30 days notice and that's the other reason i bring this up you know even a simple farming business anymore running the risk of getting arrested in our case you know um you know, it was it was a, a sizable operation, but we were in no position to just take random hundred and fifty thousand dollar hits like that. Uh, you're fighting with insurance companies. How many you, you want to hear insurance stories? I, I could tell you tons. And if you don't know how, and this is what I say about you know Trump's reputation as a builder developer, you're always in the fight. You're always getting attacked. You're always uh, somebody's always. Preventing you from from doing what it is that you want to do, but this is uh, you know the, 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 this idea of being able to come to America and pursue a dream. Isn't this the essence of it? Small business. Is, it wouldn't farming be in that category that somebody hey, they just wanted to live a simple life. This is a multi generational farmer down there. This isn't his primary business. You know, he's got pigs and corn and all this. So There's like one little field here growing hemp and no THC in it. At first, one of the reasons I checked that, I was starting to think maybe these uh, these white-haired cops here in the video, um, you know, are real strong anti-pot guys. But it's not pot. No, There's no, no getting high off it. Now, maybe that's part of what we're not being told here. Maybe something else was going on. Maybe there was a little bit mixed. I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit more to this story. I don't think so. But even if there was, even if there was, typically the way the law works, and this is what you should know, as long as you're entertaining your administrative rights, it's really hard for them. These aren't even really, I don't know, like I said, I don't know how South Carolina works. In Pennsylvania, uh, you can get, arrest warrants for code violations, municipal ordinances, whether it be state law. But um, those are not the same as criminal warrants. There's a difference there. Uh, I don't know what the exact terminology is. But where this guy had filed an amendment, uh, and then I guess there's real questions about the, the judge that uh, the information that was given to the judge that allowed this, you know. And so what do you do? I mean, at the point that, that and you have to watch this video, they basically uh, ambush this guy. 
right? He had been talking to the state. Like, there was no hiding what he was doing. This isn't like he had some sneak. It's just like a broad open field right on the side of the road. You got to check out the video, what they did to this guy. You just ask yourself why. And that's why I say maybe something else was going on that, that, that we're not told in the video. I wouldn't be surprised. But either way, either way, I'm shocked that where he was, this was self-reported. He was cooperating. I don't know that they had given him an order to uh, to destroy the crop. But even with that, why? Why is so? Oh, you put it in the wrong spot? Destroy it. No. You don't come in. And I kind of suspect that's what's happening. Somebody got on the bureaucratic side got their back up because I think he planted it and then filed the amendment. And and somebody, no, no, it's not the way it works. We're going to follow the law here in South Carolina. This is how we do things. This is how the, the tough guy bureaucrats talk. Yeah, welcome. Not here, not in my backyard. You're not doing that. It says here you file, you get your permit, then you plan. See it clear. It says it right here very clearly. No degree of reasonableness. And even if that's the way that they felt, hey, look, the law is clear. And that may be the case. Maybe the law was crafted that way. I don't know. You know, if this permit isn't obtained prior, then ba 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 ba. But why the arrest? I don't understand. This could have been done. This would be like in Pennsylvania. If you let's say you don't cut and mow your lawn, most municipalities have some kind of a local ordinance that the grass can't be over six inches, eight inches. And in some places, if they have code people on staff, you know, maybe in town, uh, you'll get complaints where somebody's not cutting the grass, and it's usually it doesn't happen until it's about a foot. Okay, just so you know. And then, you know, usually. You know, code person will go out and leave a notice or something like that. And if it's not cut, they can issue citations. If those citations aren't paid, just like a speeding ticket, ultimately they'll issue an arrest warrant to collect that money. And that can happen. Uh, but it's really, <laughs> it takes a lot for it to get to that point. And uh, to see it happen over high grass, I mean, you really have to be thumbing your nose at the people, the process at least from what I've seen. Is that what happened in South Carolina? He's showing this video, uh, and maybe he just wasn't cooperating at all. It sure does not sound like that. And if you take the story at face value, the cops are just running amok down there. Why? As far as handling it, at the point that it got to that point where they ambushed him, there's really not much else you can do except what he did. And that's just to cooperate. I mean, you're not going to, you start struggling, fighting with the police, and you're going to lose that battle every time. There's no way to handle it. And hopefully, hopefully, he gets a good lawsuit going over this. Uh, There's a variety of laws, the Four Corners Law, where the government has to deliver a clear notice. I think they may have done that. And if that's the case, then this likely will get upheld in court, even if it was extremely heavy-handed. But just to think anymore, when you talk about the American dream and you talk about excess regulation, now this is state level. And I've talked to it. I say, you know, there's a lot more that goes on at the state and local level than the federal level. It's just that with the syndication today, uh, you know, everything is discussed as the national news. But these same issues affect everywhere. 
You know, one of the big talks that we hear, the libertarians like to bring this up. Why do barbers have to be licensed? Well, I'm not so sure that it's a bad idea that barbers are licensed because you sit down in the chair, you want some reasonable assurance that you're going to walk out of there, you know, not looking like, uh, you know, a, a bad mistake happened, right? And so uh, how do you regulate that? But on the other hand, like a barber school is like a $20,000 endeavor from what I understand. $20,000 and I don't know how many weeks of school seems a little crazy. Cosmetology, all these these similar things. And there's a company uh, – I forget the name of it, Pearson View. And they're the ones that run all the testing for the, these things. They're, they're printing money. The whole thing has become quite the racket. Who knows how much they give politically? I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's been going on a long time. And so many different uh, fields are licensed. And, and there's so much regulation. Farming is one of them. Huge regulation. Trucking. You know, you're trying, and, and what does that mean in terms of people that are trying to run a small business? Well, God forbid you fill out a permit form incorrectly, and next thing you know, you land yourself in handcuffs. Let me throw this little idea at you, though. I've always said where there's a problem, there's an opportunity, and that would be the case here as well. I, uh, I ran into a, a woman who owns a business, and what they do is they, um, they, they manage uh, um, events for nonprofits. And she said, you know, basically, you have a lot of these little, like, associations. So let's say, like, the Hemp Growers Association of South Carolina, for example, right? That would be a good association to help farmers avoid this type of situation if they want to grow hemp or they want to band together to stop this kind of heavy-handed law enforcement well, how many how many members of the hemp growers of South Carolina, hemp hemp farmers of South Carolina, how many members do you think you're going to get? You know, 50, 100? Let's just say it's 200 members, right? Well, they're farmers. Uh, they're going to just have this association. Well, they don't, they don't know how to organize that and have an annual event and do the things that should be done and have a website. So, this woman has a firm. Maybe they do know some of it. And she can provide services a la carte. You know, they'll do different pieces uh, for these smaller associations typically and larger that need help for whatever reason. Uh, but my point is um, you could – I was thinking about this with campaigning, you know, as I fill in the, the uh, role of Nancy Price's uh, campaign uh, treasurer and uh, – you know, you could offer that as a service. Hey, I'll manage your uh, campaign treasurer services for a fee, right? You could offer it a la carte. So anyway, maybe you have a solution to some of this regulation. Maybe you've worked in the field where you figured it out or you know how to deal with it. I, in my development days, I would regularly get uh, consulting gigs where I would go. It's kind of interesting and it doesn't happen so much anymore. Maybe I just don't have the, the my feelers. I, I never really looked for it, but uh, people would reach out to me, and they would say they were having a difficulty. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, <laughs> this is a funny story. I'll tell you real quick. And th- this can really have an impact on your business. So uh, a friend of a friend was uh, redeveloping this old mill building, and uh, it was about a five-story building. I don't know, maybe about 100,000 square feet, 
So that's about two acres of floor space. And uh, they're redeveloping it into a beautiful office space. They stripped down the old masonry walls and the uh, clear story windows up at the top and uh, exposed some of the big timber trusses in there. Gorgeous, really gorgeous. So uh, there's a female inspector that this, uh, this developer, he was managing it himself, which is kind of a mistake in its own right. And uh, he was running a really, really rough operation. Like one day I was there and I guess he caught all of his uh, painters uh, up on the roof smoking pot, speaking of hemp. And uh, so he fired them all on the spot. What a scene that was. Uh, the one guy, I remember him saying, uh, uh, you know, it's I do it all the time. It's like cigarettes to me. And it always stuck in my head. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Uh, but anyway, you know, give you kind of an op- idea what kind of operation this was. All I can tell you, by the way, you know, all my time in, in construction and real estate development, um, any time where the, the partying has been allowed on the job site, it always creates a problem. I threw uh, framers off a job one time. They were uh, drinking beer, framing houses, and throwing the cans over the fence onto somebody else's property, which worked really well until the somebody else found them and wasn't too happy about it. Um, I remember a guy developing a restaurant, and I went out to visit one time, and uh, there was an open bottle of whiskey. And I said, uh, you're going to run into problems with that. And I think they opened for a short time and didn't didn't make it very long. So uh, you see these patterns. Anyway, my buddy, a female inspector, whatever he did, he upset her, which was probably legitimate. But um, she was saying that the center of the toilets was like a, an eighth inch out of code. And that all of the uh, the switches, the electric switches, were like a quarter inch too high, all needed to be lowered. And if you've ever done that kind of work, you kind of have an idea of what kind of problem that creates. And uh, so what I did is I called her, and I was very respectful. And this is where I say, you know, you got to knowing how to handle these things. If you're going to be in business, you got to be very creative how to deal with these things. So I called her up, and uh, I said, I'd like to arrange – uh, for this inspection to um, you know verify these code violations, uh, and if we could, I'd like to just have a, you know us take a few photographs with the tape measure so we can see exactly what we're talking about and uh, document that precisely because there's no centerline mark on the toilet, so there's a little bit of uh, subjectivity or objectivity. I forget. Just I would just say a degree of reasonableness, right? You know, that, that there's a reason why you don't want the toilet seven feet away from the wall, right? Uh, but whether or not it's uh, 15 and an eighth or, or, or 18 and an eighth, it's not going to make a big difference, okay? Um, so uh, I said, we want to take these, these photos. I didn't say all that to her. I just said, I understand the code, and, you know, but there's no center line. So I'd like to just photograph this to document exactly what it is that you're you're speaking of. And then when we're done, uh, they had just built a new township building. And I said, when we're done there, I'd like to go down to the new township building and just take some of those same photographs so that we can kind of compare how the one looks compared to the other. And lo and behold, uh, the issue went away. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a couple of other issues where we had to make a file appeals, just like the farmer, 
uh, to the Pennsylvania license, L&I it's called. There was old railings in these five-story stair towers that did not meet the current code. And uh, so we had to get a variance for that, which we were able to obtain. But there was another case of grab bars in the bathrooms for handicap accessibility. There was a steel column in the way, and they also granted a variance for that. But you get a sense of how complicated it is to even just to have a small business. And it's one of the many reasons why I'm passionate about talking about limited government and less regulation and why it's so important to allow businesses to do what they do. You know, we need real estate development. Everybody wants to, to vilify the, the they, the them, the big companies, the, the, the big businesses. How about the small businesses? Oh, the developers, the dirty developers, the dirty this, the dirty that. It's all dirty. I want to give you a little update on this story. If you, have you ever heard me tell the dog sign story? Very interesting. There's this group, and I don't know if anybody's seen this anywhere else in the country. I have to believe that that, that it is happening. Um, they put all these dogs, these signs out, missing dog, uh, with a photograph of the dog, and there are these homemade signs on, like, this yellow poster board. Call this number. Do not approach. <laughs> That's, like, the biggest sign of the scam right there. Well... I saw this go around before, and what happened was you can't just be putting signs on utility poles and in people's yards and properties and things like that. And what happened a few years back when this happened, the code people in these municipalities got involved and you know set the, told these people they had to take these signs down. And um, uh, that ended up becoming news then because, oh, the big heavy-handed bad government. We're just trying to find our dog. And nobody could even verify if these dogs actually exist. I was thinking you could have a ton of fun making prank calls on this thing. Maybe I should put the phone number out here on the on the podcast. There's people I was like, you just call me like, hey the dog's dead here in the middle of the road. You want to come get it? Just call in an address. Hey, I want to report this dog here on the side of the road. Looks like it might be dead. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Is that too too cruel, do you think? Well, look, they're the ones that are causing this environmental nightmare with all these fake signs all over the place. Well, anyway, here's the interesting part about this. The last time, you know, the heavy-handed government comes down and then the media picks it up and it becomes newsworthy and they get even more attention. And this is what I've told you how things work, right? It was a, it was a no-lose situation for them. They're getting the marketing from the signs and then when the government steps in and then they're getting all this free press – Bada boom, ba bing, ba bang. It was, and it's this dog. And then all of a sudden, I found that these dog parks were getting funded all over the country. Because everybody, you support dogs. How could you not support the dog? We need to do more for the dog. You know how the the the, the emotional, right? It's just a picture of a puppy, and oh boy. Well, this time around, none of that is happening. At least not yet. I don't think that the municipalities are stepping in. I think since COVID, there's so much going on and and so much has happened. I think that most of these, at least here, they're like, eh, we're not getting involved in it. And the media wouldn't pick it up anyway because all the media has become so centralized. All national media. Really amazing how things have shifted. And in this case, uh, it's kind of a good development in that sense. 
But it goes to show you, I, I remember when the, when the media reports on it came out last time, uh, really an indication a few years back of how poorly the media was in terms of um, investigating anything to actually get to any real facts. It just doesn't happen. This, I thought, was an interesting story. Did you hear about the snow crab season being canceled as officials investigate the disappearance of a billion crabs? Is, the, could this, is this real? Has anybody, I, I, I was trying to look into this a little bit further. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows anything about this, to look into this. Uh, I'm sure the season has gotten canceled in the past. Does anybody have any history on that? How did like a billion crabs just up and disappear? Uh, that's beyond strange. Now, these things are down pretty deep, right, in the cold water up there. Uh, but even if they, if they died in mass, like wouldn't the carcasses show up somewhere? Tell me I'm wrong. What's really going on with this? Is it another attack? You know, what would be the uh, market uh, response? Well, seafood places. You know, if you're a crab place, my guess is they're still getting them uh, from somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe not. Can't get them. Run the price up. So uh, I don't know if you heard this about the Durham investigation. Uh, Maybe Fox News reported on it. There's been some other uh, lower-level blog reporting on this that uh, under questioning from special counsel John Durham in the trial of Igor Denchenko, FBI analyst analyst Brian Auten testified that the Bureau offered Steele $1 $1 million if he could provide evidence that the explosive claims against Trump contained in the dossier were true. But the former MI6 spy could not do so, and the money was not paid. That's the story. So, uh, first of all, <laughs> there's a lot of ways you could look at this. Let me back up and say this. The fact that the FBI was engaging and paying Christopher Steele was publicly known at the time that it was going on. And this is part of what's so frustrating to me. And I saw somebody saying how you don't see anybody uh, in the establishment nervous about a Republican majority because Republicans don't do anything. They never do anything to put a stop to this stuff. And so, first of all, it's amazing to me that this has become big news Everybody's going, oh, look at this. Look at it like it's some kind of new story. It's not new at all. Part of my frustration, I talked about this the other day, I blew all this wide open. Like the FBI knew. The FBI was paying. Isn't that misappropriation of funds and, and many other crimes that were going on there? This whole election, the FBI, it's all become just a complete, uh, what would you call, kangaroo court, not kangaroo court. What do you call that? Just the whole big sham puppet regime. Puppet regime. That's what I was looking for. So now, you know, Durham comes out and everyone's like, oh, 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 like it's something new. It was, it was, then they're like, oh, I can't believe that. Um, uh, uh, what's the other special counsel that they had uh, that, that found nothing? All the millions of dollars they spent on that. Like, well, how come he couldn't uncover them? I'm like, what do you mean? How come, how come it needed a special counsel at all? I talked about it on this podcast. 
I said it, that Steele was being paid by the FBI. This whole stupid story that somehow the, the, the dossier just ended up dropped in John McCain's mailbox. Of all people, John McCain. I don't know where it came from. He spoke about it. This, too, was done publicly. I listened to it firsthand. He said, I don't know. I had no idea where it came from. But I looked at it, and it looked serious. And so I turned it over to the FBI, and I heard nothing more about it. Really? Do you really expect us to believe that? You just handed to the FBI an explosive document times 10. And they were just like, oh, thank you very much. Okay, bye. Not a question? Not one question. Senator, how did you get this? It was in my mail. Not one. Nope. I heard nothing more. We're going to need to talk to you about this. Did you read any of this? Nothing. No questions at all. No questions asked. Isn't that amazing? It's all a bunch of BS. All a bunch of lies. They all knew what was going on. I think they're spying on everybody. This is the claim. This is this is how deeply uh, in, entrenched the evils of our of our political system. It's horrible, really. The the people involved just absolutely horrible. The games, the lack of leadership, the dishonesty. It just goes on and on. But this is nothing new, and nothing's going to happen. Don't expect anything to happen. Uh, no money was paid, so yeah, on that. They were paying steel. Dig into it a little further. I'm telling you this based on publicly available information. Just putting together pieces. Amazing, really. Epic Times saying that according to the Energy Information Administration, the heck is that? Energy Information Administration. Americans' heating bills expected to soar this winter. And uh, we have oil, and I'm concerned about it. You know, I've said this before. For our budget, if our heating costs double, which the price of oil has doubled, we're locked in. I believe I'm locked in for the rest of this winter. It's going to go up, but it's not going to double. But next year, it very well might likely double. And it's it's a scenario I warned about. I've been warning about it for years now. I did a little a rough math on this new green scam, and I said it. I said energy costs are going to double, and here we are. They're going to more than double. They're not. They're going to go up even more. You watch. It's it's actually um, you, know, you can't get wood stoves right now. I'm told. What does that tell you? Everybody's thinking the same thing. I better I better start looking for alternate options. We're going to be burning our furniture soon. That's how bad it's going to get. What has brought us to this point? No natural disaster. They run around with all this fear-mongering with their existential threats and infectious diseases. And it's all man-made, all self-inflicted. It's all, yeah, they were able to predict it so well because it's been the plan. They're all purposely done. There's no shortage of oil. There's all this uh, uh, peak oil and we're going to run out. It never happened. There's still plenty of coal. There's plenty of oil. We're going to come close. Not even remotely close. Amazing, really. What do you do? You know, uh, I'll tell you, for us, you know, it'll be a squeeze if those costs double. And like I said, I don't think it's going to stop there. 
And, you know, for us, I'm thinking, well, what are my options? Wood. Thought about putting in a wood stove. I don't really want to deal with a wood stove. It sounds like a nice backup, and on one hand it is. Uh, it can be a very nice heat. It's also dirty and a lot to deal with. You gotta, but for us, we don't have a, a you know wooded uh, property here that um, we could have a, a you know replenished stock of, of wood for heating purposes. We could you know we do have trees on our property. We could go a few years, I guess, cutting you know and cut down the trees on our property. But first of all, I don't want to cut them down, so that kind of you know puts a damper on that. So essentially, we have to buy the firewood anyway. Well, if the cost of oil keeps going up, you don't think that naturally that the firewood is going to continue to go up? It will. And I guess I could, you know, get equipped and set up to um, go, you know, harvest wood. But, you know, I'd have to make arrangements to do all that. And that's insane to get involved in all that. I mean, you're talking a huge amount of work. You know, people take for granted these modern conveniences and you don't realize you don't realize how much work it would be if we actually had to go back to to living in a more natural way. And I think we give something up with that. I really do. And, I, I you know, I'm, I had some more stories I was going to talk about. We're going to run out of time anyway. I'm going to just save them for tomorrow. I got kind of a busy week anyway. It's good for me to have some, uh, some stories stacked up. I'm going to talk about these migrant buses, um, Biden soliciting an in-kind contribution. Senators asking. I want to talk about that. A subject uh, I've been been discussing. Obama was yapping his lips. I want to talk a little bit about. He's a hoot. Um, anyway, there's some other things uh, we want to discuss. We'll do it tomorrow. But on this this heating oil uh, heating costs, I brought it up many times. You know, talk about the food. If they can control the food, they can control the population. You control the heat. You control the heat in the, in the northern areas, uh, which is a huge part of the population. You've been creating a huge, huge burden for people. And uh, there's two things I want to say about this. One, well, a couple, I guess. Uh, but one is in emergency planning. I talk about it all the time. If you're in an area that requires heating at any point during the year, that becomes your biggest emergency issue. You will die of exposure before you die of uh, now dehydration can fall into that category, right, if you're in a desert environment. But exposure will kill you before anything. If it's uh, 10 below zero and, and you're not equipped and you don't have heat, you're going to be dead quick, a lot quicker from that than you will from being dehydrated or, or being hungry. So you got to pre- prepare for it. And then financially speaking, with these kind of swings, and where's all the money going? You know, whose pockets is all that money going into as it just robs the middle class? And then what do you do about it? You know, you may have to get creative. I thought, you know, if I had to, maybe we do like a solar uh, geothermal setup. But do you realize how much money you're talking about to do that? I could do a solar heat pump and, and certainly reduce our costs. Maybe that combined with a little wood stove would be helpful, circulate the air um, have the heat pump running during the day when the solar was uh, adequate. I don't know. But I'll say this, too, in terms of the work and the gathering the wood. Uh, I think it's why I still do enjoy the work. It is good for you. And I find that the more I work, the better I feel. Can you imagine that? I don't know. It's a crazy world. God willing, we'll be back tomorrow. Lots to talk about. I sure hope to see you there. In the meantime, make it a great day.